Uh, we are a couple months now into our Matthew series. We're going to take a long time to preach through this glorious first gospel where we get to learn a ton about Jesus Christ, um, who he is, what he did, um, and all the details of the story. And as we've been going through, we've just seen how intricately Matthew has put this account together. Um, Jesus didn't just arrive out of nowhere. He, he comes as part of a story that's already being written. The story of Israel, the story of the world, where God is bringing all people back to himself. Um, and Jesus comes as the one to bring everyone back in. And we're going to see some of that um, as we jump into today's text. So would you read with me in Matthew chapter 4, verses um, 12 to 25. It's a bit of a longer one. So last week, Jesus had been in the desert 40 days, tempted, he cast the devil out. And then sort of, we don't really know exactly the timing of this. It's not 100% clear of when all this happened when you compare it to all the other Gospels. But Matthew's giving an overview of Jesus' beginning of his ministry. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, that is Jesus, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he, that is Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Would you join me in prayer? Our God and Father, May you bless the preaching of your word this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Recently, uh, I started watching a film, a very dark film. I wouldn't necessarily recommend watching it if you get depressed by movies. But this is a movie called The Joker um, with Joaquin Phoenix playing the Joker. It's kind of one of those Batman-y kind of movies, but it's not really the superhero normal stuff. It's more about the drama of this character. And this character, Arthur Fleck, is quite a troubled man. 
And it, it shows his journey in this, you know, city called Gotham, which, you know, really looks like New York City. Um, and, and the pain, the anguish, and the darkness that he lived in, and the pain that he felt. Uh, he was a person that was tormented, misunderstood, unloved, abused, and isolated. He actually deals with this um, traumatic event in his young life by developing this problem, this mental illness, where he laughs uncontrollably even when he doesn't think things are funny. Um, He dresses up as a clown for kids' parties and things like that, but when things go really wrong in his life, he begins to just start laughing, and he looks psychotic, he looks crazy, he looks mental, and people don't know how to approach him, people don't know how to sit next to him, people don't want to be around him because... He looks possessed. He looks totally troubled and tormented. People look at him and laugh. People leave when they see him. People make jokes at his expense and they torment and abuse him. And as I was watching this film, I I was really moved in this sort of sympathy, thinking, obviously this is a a fiction and it's a made-up story, but just thinking of cities and thinking of the men and women and children and the elderly that live in cities, the brokenness that many people walk around with, the many people that we catch buses with or sit next to in a coffee shop or in line at Woolworths, the people that we walk past from day to day, and the hurt, the pain, the, the torment that people can be going on. You know, one of the quotes in the movie is something along the lines of, you know, you smile because... You just you can't show what's really going on inside. People don't get it. And for how many people in our world, in our city of Parramatta or wherever you live, are living in that kind of reality? Smiling, but really on the inside there's darkness, there's hurt, there's you know, just oppression, there's conflict, there's demonization, there's pain, there's, there's burdens that people are carrying all around us and even in this room. There's a, there's a pain. And as I watched that movie, I, I was just moved in this sympathetic way to think, it's so easy to forget that reality, to get caught up in my own life, to get caught up in my own struggles and forget the pain and the darkness in the world around us. And when you look at that, and when you see a, a dramatic portrayal of someone like that, it made me ask this and have this thought, what hope do people like that actually have? If you are someone experiencing this this darkness of soul, what hope do you have? And really, if you look at it soberly, for many, there is no hope. They look back and see darkness. They look ahead and see darkness. They look in their present and they see darkness. The only hope that people like that can possibly have is if a light is turned on. If a a, a small light, even a, a candle flickering in the darkness comes on and can bring grace into their broken situation. The title of this message today is that... Oh, I've got to look at it again. I forgot it. The light of the kingdom dawns. You see, we come to Matthew's Gospel and we come to this first explanation of Jesus' ministry. He comes into a dark and broken world, just like ours is now. He comes to people who are tormented, afflicted, abused, 
suffering, disabled, paralyzed, people who are carrying around anguishes, hurts, loss, all these things. But the beauty of this message is that when Jesus comes, hope comes because he is the light that shines into the darkness. And we're going to see today that in the light of the kingdom, there is mercy and grace for all who come and follow Jesus. What hope do people have who are dark and depressed and demonized, distraught and disillusioned with the world? The only hope is that they can be in the kingdom of light. I've got three points today as we unpack this passage where we're going to see point number one, the kingdom light dawns. Point number two, the kingdom light shines. Point number three, thy kingdom come. Let's look at point number one and see this hope begin to dawn. Point number one, the kingdom light dawns. Jesus goes from being in the wilderness, uh, being sort of in the passive, things are happening to him, to now being in the active. He, he is now in control of the mission. He's still submitted to the Father, but now he's the lead character. He's the protagonist, and he sets the action going forward. You hear that in verse 12, um, when he heard that John, that's John the Baptist, the one that had baptized him just before, had been arrested by Herod, Jesus withdraws into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, all of that can sound a bit like gobbledygook to us because we don't know the area. But basically, Jesus has been down south near Jerusalem, near the Jordan River. And then when John the Baptist is arrested, he moves up way up north to the very top of Israel into the area called Galilee. And he leaves his hometown of Nazareth, travels a little bit further south and goes eastward toward the sea or it's not really a sea, to the Lake of Galilee, and he starts camping out in this place called Capernaum. Now, when, we, when I you know, think you know, ancient times, I think there's like 15 people in a city, that type of stuff, but upon um, archaeological evidence, they've found that this area of Galilee is sort of more like Brisbane, okay, than there's this tiny little, well, tiny little community. There's about 240, uh, 204 cities and villages and one old you know, um, historian thought there was about 3 million people in the area. They don't think that's true. That was at the time they said that, but they think there was about you know, 700,000 people in the area of Galilee. So it's not a small area. This is a, a booming area, 204 you know, cities and villages, and Jesus starts to move to that place to begin his ministry. But I've often wondered, you know, if Jesus is, you know, the son of David, the king, the Messiah, the one to rule the Israelites, why does he begin his ministry all the way up in Galilee? It's well out of the zone of the temple. It's well out of the orbit of all the real political things that are happening in Jerusalem. Why is he up in Galilee? And, you know, I finally got an answer this week when I studied the passage because it's right here. There's an answer in this text. Read with me verses 14 to 16. This is why Jesus moves up north and begins his ministry in Galilee of all places. And Jesus moved into that region, verse 13, verse 14, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, 
the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. You see, Jesus begins his ministry and spends most of his time up in Galilee to fulfill this prophecy in Isaiah. You see, 700 years previously, the prophet Isaiah had spoken to the people of Galilee, these northern tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali, and said, unless you repent, unless you turn back to the Lord, you will be cast out of the land. You will be judged. You will have terrible things happen to you. Yet the kings of that area, the northern tribes of Israel, they would not heed you know, the word of God. They would not repent. They would not turn from their sins. And so God brought severe punishment and justice to them. King Tiglath-Pileser from Assyria came from the north and came down south. And the first cities he took over, the first people of Israel to be exiled from the promised land were the people of Naphtali and Zebulun. A great darkness set in. A great gloom hung over that area. God's word that was prophesied came true. Because they did not repent, they were judged. And so for all this time, there's a, there's a darkness and a gloom hovering over Naphtali and Zebulun. You know, these are two of the sons of Jacob, of the 12 tribes of Israel, meant to be in the promised land, meant to be enjoying the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant and promise, meant to be enjoying all the goodness of the sovereign Lord. And yet, even though eventually, by God's grace, they came back into their land, they're still exiles. But there is this prophetic hope that lingers over them, this prophecy in Isaiah 9, that the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. I don't know when the last time was that you were up before the sun rose. I don't know if you can picture where you were. If you're, if you're out near horizon, or even if you're not, there's a beautiful moment where there's darkness, and then slowly this light starts to appear over the edge, and, and the world goes from black to gray. But even in that transitional moment, there's a hope that comes in your soul and your body. At least I experience that. There's this sense of like the brightness of a new day tomorrow is coming. And that's what this passage is trying to you know, depict for these people that though you are living in this region, a light is beginning to dawn and come. And through this light, hope is going to reign. And who is that light and what is that light? Well, enter Jesus. This is why Jesus moves north from Jordan into Galilee, because he is going to be the light for this dark land. He's going to be the one that is going to bring them hope. And so what does Jesus do? What is the hope that Jesus brings? Well, the first thing he does, and the summary of his entire ministry before the cross, is given to us in Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
You see, Jesus is declaring the exact same message as John the Baptist, yet John the Baptist's message was preparing the way for Jesus, for the kingdom to come, and now Jesus is here to bring it. Jesus is not just preparing the way, he is the way of the Lord. And he's going to be the one that is going to dawn the light and turn the lights on and bring hope to these dark times. But the prophecy of Isaiah 9 doesn't actually end there. You see, this prophecy, or this you know, preaching that Jesus does, repent, which means turn from your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This, this proclamation is actually a fulfillment of the rest of that Isaiah 9 prophecy. And we're coming on Christmas, and you may remember these words from Christmas time. You see, in verse 2, it talked about the people in darkness, but then the rest of the prophetic word says this, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, 700 years ago, Naphtali and Zebulun had heard these words. The Galileans had heard these words. And now Jesus arrives on the scene and says, I'm the son. I am here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can grasp it. The light is here. You can take it. Hope is here. You can believe in it because I am here. They don't know the full story yet, but we do. And the kingdom is not this idea of a civil government. You know, we're coming onto the elections in the US and there's a lot of hoo-ha and consternation about who will win. And because it's about whoever wins has the control of the budget, has the control of the military, has the control of, you know, so many things. The kingdom of America is at stake with who wins. There's a lot that goes on. But the kingdom that Jesus is bringing, the kingdom that he is saying is at hand, is not that type of kingdom. Not yet, anyway. The kingdom that Jesus is bringing is one where it's about internal first and then external. It's a kingdom of the heart. You see, the, the idea of kingship in this, you know, in this phrase is actually about where God rules and reigns. And it's not necessarily limited to you know, governmental policy and who's the boss of this jurisdiction. It's actually first and foremost about the heart, which is why Jesus says, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What he's saying is, yield to God again. Turn back to God. For the kingdom that Jesus brings is to demolish demonic strongholds, sin strongholds. The worst oppression and the worst government we have in the world lies within us, in our own hearts. It lies in the realm of Satan and the way that he deceives and destroys. And that's the kingdom that Jesus has come to overthrow first and foremost. And the beautiful thing about Jesus' kingdom is it's not this civic bureaucracy with paperwork and things that you have to apply for. It's a personal kingdom. 
When Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's saying, yield to God himself. Yield ultimately to me and enter relationship with me. Which is why we're going to see what it looks like for the kingdom to advance in our next point. So the fundamental starting point for this light to dawn on the world, the fundamental starting point for Jesus' ministry, the fundamental starting point for hope is repentance. And that's where Jesus begins. Turn from your sin and turn to God and you will experience hope again. Let me ask you this afternoon, have you repented? Are you a follower of of Jesus Christ and Him alone? Is He King of your heart? Have you yielded to His reign? Because that is the foundation of all the blessings of the kingdom that will come. So, Jesus is coming to these people who are living in darkness. The gloom of sin and death and Satan rules over them. But yet, the light of the kingdom is about to dawn and everything is going to change. So that's point one, the kingdom light dawns. Point two, the kingdom light shines. So Jesus has this summary statement that he goes around, 204 villages and cities in Galilee he's going to go to and actually start proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what is this kingdom going to look like? What does it look like for darkness to be pushed back and for light to start to infiltrate. Well, Matthew gives us two examples in verses 18 to 25. We're going to see the the advance of the kingdom, point number two, the kingdom light shines by people turning to Jesus, and the kingdom light shines by people's lives being dramatically changed. Let's look at the first of those two, people coming to Jesus. This is fundamental to what Jesus came to do, is draw people to himself. Look at verses 18 to 22. It's remarkable. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 20, Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. It's a remarkable story if you think about, could you imagine you're at work this week and you're just punching away on the computer or whatever you do for work, and then suddenly you know, someone comes past and says, follow me. And there's this sense of like, I got to go. And you just go straight away, leave everything, your whole career, everything behind. Now, it wasn't exactly like that for these guys. They actually already, we learn in John's gospel, they already knew about Jesus. And in fact, in Luke's gospel, we learned that the night before they'd had this miraculous catch of fish. Um, Jesus had actually led them to catch more fish in one night than they'd ever caught before. So it's, it's not completely random that, you know, Jesus comes along and says, follow me. But you notice the authority of the king of the kingdom. He says to these men, follow me. He calls to them and look at their obedience. It's immediate. And he gives them a mission. You know, he's got this massive task of bringing the light to the world in the darkness. And he says, I will make you fishers 
of men. You see, the kingdom is near, the kingdom is at hand, means that people need to be saved. And God's plan in the world is always to use other people to get the job done. God never just does things automatically. He chooses to use people. And so we're going to see a whole bunch of different disciples. There's 12 main ones, but there's about 140 other in the central team that Jesus calls alongside and says, you be part of the kingdom and you get to work and start doing the job with me. It's a cool scene. And, you know, we are part of that crew now, you know, 2,000 years later and billions of disciples later, we're part of that crew as well. And we see Jesus' authority, we see their immediate response, and we see that their mission is to make fishes of men. They're a part of saving people, drawing them out of the darkness of the ocean and into the light. So people come and follow Jesus. That's the first impact of the kingdom light dawning. The second is that people are radically saved. Let's look at verses 23, and we'll look at the end, um, the rest of it in a moment. And he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every affliction among the people. You know, this verse is a summary of the three things that Jesus did wherever he went. Three things. He, he went into their synagogues. That was like their local community worship hall. Heaps of stuff happened there. They, they worshiped on the on the Sabbath, the Jewish people, um, but they also did a lot of meetings and a lot of market and everything happened around the synagogue. So he would go and teach authoritatively from the Old Testament. But he would also go and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. That means he went about from town to town like a herald, ringing the bell, so to speak, he, 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 the kingdom is coming. He went out with this bold, powerful message, this authoritative message you know, Jesus isn't just like, oh, if you have time, um, you know, if you, if you think it's a good worldview, join in. Jesus went about saying, guess what, everyone? God's kingdom is coming. The light is dawning. Get ready. Good news is here. Jesus is a preacher. He's a teacher. And the third thing we see is that he's a healer. He went about proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. It's like he went out through all of Brisbane. You know, I looked up, there's 190 suburbs in Brisbane, so it's not dissimilar to Galilee. There's about two and a half million people in Brisbane. Now, that's like the upper, upper, upper end of how big Galilee was. Galilee was probably more like, you know, Wollongong or something, 500,000 people. But imagine the grueling ministry that Jesus and his disciples went about. Every day, to get through every one of those towns for months and months and months, not stopping, meeting all these hundreds and thousands of people with all this brokenness, all this pain, yet still proclaiming, teaching, and healing. So look at verse 24. What's the result? Well, his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Imagine these scenes, if you could transport back into this time. You've got to go back to a time before any public health, modern medicine, germ theory, antibiotics. You know, four weeks ago, I got an infected eye. If that eye had a state infected, I would have been blind in my right eye. That's what happens. I had periorbital cellulitis. If you don't treat it, you get 
what was it? Something orbital cellulitis, or just orbital cellulitis, and you go blind. That's what happens. If I was living in Jesus' time, that's likely what would have happened. I would have lost eyesight in one eye, severely hindered my ability to work, to provide, to care for my family. For many of these people, they were born with disabilities, disfigurements. They experienced all manner of, you know, brutal, you know, the occupation of the Romans, rape, pillaging, all these type of things in, in the ancient world that we still experience today. People with minor cuts and things that turn into leprosy and and they lose limbs and flesh and they have festering wounds and there's pain and there's no hope. You know, we have the police force. If something goes wrong, we can call the police. They don't have the police. They, They have elders and things in the city. But if you have no one to protect you, you're completely vulnerable. You have no one to turn to. There's no social security net. There's no help. So could you imagine what it would have been like to hear that there's this man going around from town to town to town, taking people who couldn't walk and helping them walk again, taking people who were blind and giving them sight, taking people who have chronic illness and disease and completely healing them. But what's more, imagine if you were demonically oppressed. There's no cure, there's no doctor, there's nothing you could do. Modern science even now couldn't do anything about demonization. And we learn many times in the gospel that there's people that are just afflicted with dark thoughts, dark actions, controlled, possessed by the evil one who wants to cause havoc and destroy their lives. If you've ever seen the uh, TV series, The Chosen, it sort of tries to depict what it would have been like to be an ordinary person in the time of Jesus. And in the first episode, there's this lady called Lilith who is abused and Uh, becomes a prostitute and and has this horrible possession um, by a demon in her life. And nothing that she can do can rid this demon from her. Nothing can take it away. Nothing can help her. They even bring in, you know, the great teacher, the Pharisee, to come in and try and do an exorcism, and nothing can save her. She's at the point where she's trying to take her own life. And then remarkably and incredibly, in this beautiful, poignant moment, Jesus arrives and he he starts speaking to her and instantly the demon is taken out of her and she's restored to her normal former self. In fact, you know, in the story, you know, her name is Lilith, but actually um, she's Mary of Magdala, Mary of Magdalene. It's it's fictional, but it's this beautiful depiction of what happens when Jesus arrives on the scene. Light shines in the darkness. Hope comes to those who are despairing. Healing comes to those who are broken. And that's the the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so his fame spreads from north to south to east to west. People are intrigued. And in verse 25, we hear great crowds followed him from Galilee. That's that region at the north of Israel, the Decapolis, that's the northeast, from Jerusalem and Judea, that's the south, he's skipping Samaria in the middle, and from beyond the Jordan, that's, you know, everything kind of um, south of the Jordan River, that's basically saying the entire region of Israel started to hear about Jesus. Remember, Jesus is representative of the new Joshua. He's begun a new conquest of the land of Israel, and he's taking it back 
from the claws of the enemy. But he's in Galilee of the Gentiles, Galilee of the nations. And here begins this hint towards the end of Matthew's gospel that this good news is not just for the people who were in this story at that time, but the good news is going to extend out to all the corners of the ends of the earth, to all the nations, whether you're a Jew or a non-Jew, whether you're a follower of God or not yet. This good news, this light is going to start in Zebulun and Naphtali in Galilee and spread to all the world. And so the kingdom is near. It's at hand. The light has dawned. And as Jesus goes out, he shines. And he shines the light that fills people's lives. And many, thousands, hundreds come and follow him. They come and are cleansed. They come, they are healed. And they're liberated from sin. They're liberated from Satan. And it's a beautiful thing to behold. Because in the light of the kingdom, there is mercy and grace for all who come and follow Jesus. And that's what Matthew is trying to show, that for anyone who comes, they will experience this light. That's point number two. Finally, to bring it all together, point number three, thy kingdom come. You see, the good news of this passage is not relegated to the Bible times. Jesus goes on in a couple of chapters to to teach us how to pray. He prays, you know, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the kingdom is near, it's at hand for these people. The light is shining, but that light continues and infiltrates the darkness of our world today. The darkness of our own lives. The kingdom of heaven is not just near, it's here through the ruling and reign of Jesus Christ. And so we should be joining in in this message of thy kingdom come, thy will be done. See, we want the kingdom of God to come through us and to us. And we get to be a part of spreading the light in the darkness of our world. You know, as we come and we get to sing and take part of fellowship and eat and drink of communion, all these beautiful kingdom realities that we are in, that we are saved, that we are liberated, we're also part of the, the light going out into the rest of the world. And we, each one of us, are followers like Peter, James, Andrew, and John of Jesus. We've been called to make fishers of men. And so as we go out, as brothers and sisters, as those full of the Holy Spirit, as those called by Jesus Christ himself, to each one who follows him, he said to you, follow me. And you came and you followed. That's what happened. That's how you're here today. But now he sends you out to be a part of his kingdom going throughout, to see his rule and reign in other people's lives. And so as we leave, thy kingdom come through us. You see, as we go out, we're going to meet people this week who have got brokenness and hurts, darkness and depression, disease and demonization. All these you know, vices and pains and the hopelessness of this world is upon them. And we have light. We have the good news. We know the king of the kingdom. And we have the incredible privilege 
to be part of this ministry and bringing light to those who are in darkness, to the Arthur Flex of the world, the real Arthur Flex, those that you see on the bus and those that you see around and those that are in your own houses and households and neighborhoods and next door to you. We get to be a part of bringing the kingdom to them. Jesus promised that he will be with us as we go out and make disciples. And so we can actually go out in power. We can go out in authority. We can go out in confidence, declaring the kingdom is near, declaring the good news of the gospel, praying for people to be healed, praying for people's lives to be changed, praying for people to be you know, released from demonic oppression. We actually have that power and authority because we are disciples of Christ. We don't have anything in us. We can't make it happen, but we have him. Like Rach you know, shared earlier, we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so we go out into this city and suburbs of Parramatta shining as lights. That's our privilege. That's our absolute joy. And may that fill your heart as you go out. But not only does the kingdom come through us, it comes to us. And the sad reality is that for many of us, we carry around darkness, even in our own lives as followers of Jesus, or even you might be here, you're not yet a follower. And we want God's kingdom to come and the light of his kingdom to reign in our own hearts and in our own lives. Jesus still heals today. He still casts out demonic oppression today. He still binds up those who are weary and heavy laden. For all who come and follow Jesus, there is light in the kingdom. And you can come to him today. Whether you've been following Jesus all your life or you're not yet a follower, you can come and experience the light of his kingdom today. And in fact, after the service, we're going to make space for that to happen. If you are carrying around a burden, a darkness, a disease, a demonic oppression, a, um, you know, something that's happening in your life. And we're going to actually spend time. I've asked a few people to come up and pray. And we're going to ask that King Jesus would shed light into your dark situation and liberate you from it. Now, we don't have the exact same authority as Jesus. We can't guarantee what he will do. He's the sovereign king. He's the king of the kingdom. But we're his little children. And we're going to ask him to bring light into the darkness of people's lives. And so if that's you, you've, you've come with darkness and you want the light of the kingdom to shine, then come out humbly. Come out in faith and ask for prayer. And a few people will pray for you. Everyone else will have a coffee and the, you know, music playing. And we'll just ask God to, to enter in and may his kingdom come, not just through us, but to us today. You see, the kingdom is at hand. But the kingdom is not a governmental, bureaucratical system. The kingdom is not even the church. When we're called to come into the kingdom, we are called to come directly to Christ himself and to sit under his rule and reign. Dane Ortland says it like this, when we come to Jesus, we do not come to a set of doctrines We do not come to a church. We do not even come to the gospel. All these are vital. But most truly, we come to a person, to Christ himself. And when we come to Jesus, we come to the one who before he wore a crown of 
gold as king of the world, he wore a crown of thorns. The one who bowed to the deep darkness on the cross, who was forsaken by God and looked over so that you could be included. That is the Jesus that we come to. That is the king that we have. And he invites you today, come and experience his life, his joy, his power. And even if you don't get the deliverance or whatever you're hoping for, you have him. (laughs) You have him. And you will have him in closeness forever and ever if you repent of your sins and trust in him. So we've seen the kingdom light dawns, first on dark Galilee, but then the kingdom light shines in that area and it's still shining today. And we can experience it. So friends, make this your prayer. Make this your lived reality. Thy kingdom come through us and to us as we come to King Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we just are totally dependent upon your grace. And we ask that you would move amongst us this afternoon. Lord God, we ask that you would heal. We ask that you would bind up. We ask that you would mend our broken hearts, our troubled minds, our mental illnesses. We ask that you would convert those who are not yet followers of you, who haven't yet repented of their sins. Lord, would you use us to be lights in the world? As light dawned in Galilee, would it dawn in Parramatta and Northmead and Stanhope Gardens and Epping and all the different places that we live? Would your light shine through us as we go out? And would you help us to come to you, the one who wears a crown of thorns, the one who died in the gloom of darkness so that we can be brought from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.